I do think it's really timely that we're talking about it right now because of the fact that so many of the colleges have decided to do remote learning. A lot of people are making decisions just about where their kids go to school for your grade, your K through 12, let alone talking about our college kids who are going off. So it is important that you have those discussions now about what are we paying for? What are we actually paying for? And what are we getting for what we're paying? Well, don't go down the path of, oh my gosh, it's a private school and it's costing $58,000, in the land-grant school, like the local schools here in Ohio, the major institutions, are less than half. They're $22,000, $23,000 a year. Well, that sounds like a huge savings. Why would you spend the money on a private institution? But the difference is, is the big institutions like Miami and Ohio State and Bowling Green here in Ohio and University of Cincinnati and the list goes on and on, they may not give you aid. But some of the smaller schools like Capitol or Wittenberg, with all the scholarships, the presidential scholar, all these different things that they add in, you could wind up spending less than you would for state school, even though the tuition's higher. We've experienced that personally, too. So just do the math. Just do the math. Being fit is about more than just a regular gym routine. When was the last time you checked on your financial fitness? If you're feeling like you're falling behind, Ed Sedell is here to help with The Retirement Trainer, a podcast about helping you get into better financial shape. Every week, Ed talks about things you need to know to become more financially fit for your future. Learn about things like how much money will you need, financial mistakes other people often make, and how you can avoid them. Plus, details on the Retirement Fitness Plan, a plan Ed personally created to help you get to and through retirement by focusing on five key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the Retirement Fitness Plan when you visit egsifinancial.com and click on Processes. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to The Retirement Trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. It's The Retirement Trainer with Ed Sedell, a podcast about finding ways to help you become financially fit for your future, no matter what financial shape you're in now. College. How do we pay for it? What are the options? What is FAFSA? And are there still scholarships available? Are they needs-based, GPA-based, and is there too much that we need to know? This is Leanne Sedell, and here to help us with all of our questions and to give us some guidance on how to stay in the best financial shape possible, the retirement trainer, Ed Sedell. Hi, Ed. FAFSA. I just like I saying that. <laughs> <laughs> You got to love the government and their acronyms, you know, I mean, holy cow. Um, So true. And if we haven't been through this ourselves. One down and two to go. So we, we are intimately aware of what's going on this time of the year. Those kids going off to, to college, hopefully they are, even with this COVID-19. And and then uh, the looming open dates for, for scholarships coming up here in a couple months. That's right. And so many things have changed because of the lack of the ability to have ACT and SAT testing. So oh, yeah. I imagine a lot of things are going to look a lot different for those parents getting ready for their kids to go away to college. So how do we pay for college? That's a great question, but let's kind of set the stage and so that people really understand what's going on with uh, the cost of college as compared to everything else in life right now. So 
just to put it in perspective, so when I did my undergrad at Western Carolina, I was an out-of-state student, and for everything, all four years, out the door, and by the grace of God, I was able to get out in four years. (laughs) Okay, but I paid, it was less than $24,000. Okay, so that was out-of-state. As compared to, in 1989, the average in-state for the United States, the average in-state tuition was 26000 okay, and adjusted for inflation, in today's dollars, that'd be about 52000 bucks. And in 2016, the average cost for a four-year degree was 104000 and it's estimated that in 2020, it's going to be somewhere north of $120,000 for a four-year degree. If only we could guarantee a $200,000 paying job when we graduated. Well, you know, (laughs) you're absolutely right. And the other big problem is that these four-year degrees are are not four years anymore. No. The average student, it takes almost six years to complete a four-year degree. So the finances, the cost, I mean, this is a big deal because the, the power struggle is, do you leave your kids with all that debt to the point where they can't survive? Because, you know, we manage yeah, yeah. the 401ks and these participants, and we help a lot of these participants realign and help pay off their debt, right? And the number one thing is student loans. And how many times over and over again do we see student loans from a liberal arts college for $120,000, $140,000 is the balance because they have these private loans and they were being charged seven, eight, nine percent And what their monthly payment is, is more than a mortgage and they can't survive. Well, I know that I think a lot of people fall into the same realm that we do in the sense that you and I worked our way through college. We had those student loans. We had to pay those off when we first graduated. That was just part of where our expenses went to was paying that off. We don't want our kids to have that. But there was no possible way for us to be able to project that college was going to cost this much. Well, there are some estimates where the inflationary rate for tuition is 5%. There's an article that I read in educationdata.org, and that said that it's actually north of 7%. And so when you think about the actual cost of college, all right, the cost has risen for college eight times more than wages have risen. So think about that. Yeah. And just to, to put it in perspective, now, when you and I were in college, I was able to work. You know, I worked 30, sometimes 40 hours a week full-time and going to school full-time. And so that kept my loans really low, and I was able to pay off everything a couple years after college. You can't do that now when college costs $22,000, and that's what the average is for in-state tuition. But I think the biggest misunderstanding that a lot of people have is that, for instance, FAFSA, there are people that, based off of their income, they automatically make the assumption that they don't qualify for a lot of different kinds of grants and financing that is offered. So that is the big thing that is just understanding, taking those steps, going and filling out the FAFSA. Go into that. All right. So so let's talk about all the steps. So the first step, number one, is FAFSA. All right. Even if you don't think you would qualify, go ahead and fill it out because that's where all the grants, the work studies, the scholarships all start. It's right there. And if you don't fill that out, you don't even have a chance And that's a big deal because there are billions of dollars left on the table every single year. And so that opens up at the end of September. Sometimes this year, it's actually October 1st. 
And FAFSA, just so everybody knows, what that means is FAFSA stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Okay. And there's a whole lot of criteria you can go online and understand and and look at what the application is going to look like. And that's really important. And then for a lot of schools, there's also the CSS. Okay. That's a whole nother scholarship program profile that over half of the universities, both public and private, also subscribe to. And so a lot of these scholarships are needs-based. Some are merit-based. And then there's also other scholarships that we're going to talk about here in, in a couple of minutes. So filling out the FAFSA is really, really important. The second thing is the scholarships. There are so many scholarships out there. So our niece, right? I mean, she started putting some of these things together, these scholarships. And what was amazing was she spent hours and hours doing this and she got some scholarships for 250 bucks, some for $500, you know, a thousand here and there. And because she applied for all those scholarships, she had a large portion of her tuition taken care of. And so the amount that she had for her loans was significantly less than the average person. And and that's key. And, and I actually had this conversation with somebody last week, and we're talking about it could take anywhere from two to three hours to fill out an application to get a $500 scholarship. And they said, I would not waste my time. Well, think about it. Just do the math. If it takes you three hours to get a $500 scholarship, that's over $166 an hour. Now, how many college grads, when they get out, right, want to make $166 an hour? So when you're filling out these scholarships, you really have to do your research, but look at it as a job. Well, and a lot of these scholarships that you're applying for, the prompts are somewhat similar. So it's sometimes the one essay that you write can be used for multiple scholarships. It really is. It really is. And you've got private scholarships. You've got the needs-based scholarships. You've got GPA scholarships. You have them out there for being an Eagle Scout, for being a caddy. There's so many different things out there that there's a lot of different options. So go online, do your homework. And if, again, there are millions and millions and millions of dollars left on the table every single year because people just don't want to put in the time and effort But that's a big deal. And I'm not even talking about full academic scholarships and ROTC or anything like that. I'm talking about stringing together a bunch of smaller scholarships to help cover the major cost of tuition. Well, and you have down here number three, affordable school. Isn't that, isn't, isn't it it go against everything we're just talking about here? (laughs) Well, it does go hand in hand with what we're going through here in, in the country. You've got all these major universities, both private and public, paying the full boat to learn from home on your own computer. And, you know, I was just watching a Wall Street Journal report on uh, CNBC in which they said that the enrollment for community colleges is rising significantly because they're paying a fraction of the cost for those credit hours and those classes, and then they can then transfer on. So having a a bigger picture as to what it is that you want to do, and and maybe now if you're getting ready to go to college and you're going to have to remote learn anyways, does it make more sense to go to a community college and save 20, 30, 40, 50, 70% or more of the tuition costs and apply that to your last three or two years or, or last year. I do think it's really timely that we're talking about it right now because of the fact that so many of the colleges have decided to do remote learning. A lot of people are making decisions just about where their kids go to school for your grade, your K through 12, let alone talking about our college kids who are going off. So it is important that you have those discussions now about what are we paying for? What are we actually paying for? And what are we getting for what we're paying? Well, don't go down the path 
of, oh my gosh, it's a private school and it costs, it's costing $58,000, $60,000 in the land grant school, like, you know, the local schools here in Ohio, the major institutions are less than half. You know, they're $22,000, $23,000 a year. Well, that sounds like a huge savings. Why would you spend the money on a private institution? But the difference is, is the big institutions like Miami and Ohio State and Bowling Green here in Ohio and, you know, University of Cincinnati and the list goes on and on, they may not give you aid. But some of the smaller schools like Capital or Wittenberg. Wittenberg, with all the scholarships, the presidential scholar, all these different things that they add in, you could wind up spending less than you would for state school, even though the tuition's higher. And we've experienced that personally, too. So just do the math. Just do the math. And when you're going through the process, again, when you do the FAFSA and you send in your preliminary information for where your kids, they're going to send, give you a financial aid package that is going to break it all down before you have to make a commitment. But And, and a lot of these private institutions will also offer other scholarship opportunities to write your goal statement, your mission statements, to do these different things to earn additional scholarships that can add up to tens of thousands of dollars, you know, over your your four-year career there. And a lot of these private institutions guarantee you the ability to graduate in four years where a lot of the state schools don't. So that's kind of a, a big deal. Those are some of the things that you want to look at, as well as, you know, <laughs> what degree Am I going for how much is it going to cost me and what are my earning potentials afterwards? Because if it's going to cost you $150,000 to get a, a $30,000 a year job, how long is it going to take you to pay off that loan and can you live? Yeah. Right. And the process, I got to tell you, especially those of you that are having your first kid go off to college, the process needs to start when they are sophomores. That's when your process needs to yep. get started. You start having those conversations and begin the looking. And actually now is when you start putting together. So if you're going into your junior year, all right, end of September, October, this is when you fill out your FAFSA, October 1st in the CSS. That's when those open. So the next thing that we need to, the, the number four thing to do is to see if you qualify for any grants. And when you fill out your FAFSA, it'll tell you if you qualify for the federal Pell Grant money. Okay. In any other grants that you may qualify for. Now, that's important because a grant, you do not have to repay it. So that's a big deal, right? It's not a loan. When you fill out the FAFSA, it may also say, well, you're not going to get all this in grant money, but what we are going to do is give you the ability for a work-study program. Now, I did that as well as, as having other ancillary jobs in, in college. And what that allowed me to do is work in my field in finance in the university and do different things to get real-life experience and get paid for it to help cover the cost of tuition. So that's pretty cool. So there's opportunities out there, and that's why it's so important to uh, fill out your FAFSA. Now, when we talk about actually paying, other than scholarships and, and grants and filling out the FAFSA and, and qualifying for, for aid, really, you got to look at your savings. How much money do you have saved? And where is it, right? So the closer you get or your kids get to college, you want to make sure that you start taking those chips off the table. You know, we talk about this all the time, the concept of of age-based investing when it comes to retirement. Well, it's the same principle when it comes to investing for college too. So like with our kids, once they hit high school, you get a lot more conservative and you want most in cash right before they go to college 
So if you experience recession like we did this year, you don't want to have to sell things at a loss because eventually you'll wind up running out of money. But you want to tap your savings first but before you really get into any kind of loans. So how do people save for college? When you have a baby, all right, you know, your son or daughter is born, you've got a lot of things going on as a new parent. And one of the last things that most people think about is funding college. But starting off early, it's the compounding effect, right? The earlier you start, the less you have to save each month because it's going to grow and compound and compound. So what are the avenues to, to be able to save? Well, a couple of them are the 529 plans. And we'll go through these. We'll touch on each one of these. Savings accounts, Roth IRAs, Coverdale education savings accounts, CDs, savings bonds, and other trusts. All right. So when you break it down, how much do you need to save and how much should you spend when it comes to loans? If you look at how much the annual cost uh, of college is, all right, when your son or daughter, when your baby turns 18, you just work the math backwards, all right? And then you use inflation. Well, let's just say it is 7%. It's better to save more than not enough, right? And that will tell you how much you need to save each and every month. So if the cost is $50,000 or that's all you're willing to contribute, which is an awful lot of money, okay, for your kid's education, then how much do you need to put away each and every month so that that way you can hit those goals? And when you use 529 plans, there are two different types of 529 plans. The first one is the prepaid. When you use a prepaid plan, each state has different rules where you can actually pay the money up front and have the whole college experience completely paid for at a discount. All right. And so if the college makes a bad investment, they lose your money, whatever it is, they have the liability. Now, the cautionary tale is we have known people personally where in different states where they did this prepaid program, and this was back in 2008 and 2009, and do you remember what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the states ran out of money, and they said, yeah, we're not continuing on with the program, and here's your money back, and oh, by the way, it only covers a year and a half of tuition. you got to yeah. come up with the other two and a half years. So buyer beware. Those are some of the things that you need to worry about, and you really don't have any control over that. The other type is a, just a traditional 529 plan, and a lot of people like these. The rules have changed a whole lot. You're not capped on by how much your earnings are. You could put up to 300000 per person away, per beneficiary away. The reason that a lot of people like the 529 plans is that if my kids are my beneficiary and I'm giving them that money and they don't use it or they don't use it all, they can't spend it. I can then turn around and give it to my other kids all the way down. All right. Now, part of the other problem with that is, is that the investments are really limited. You don't have a whole lot of control over that. And if your child or kids decide not to go to college, when you pull that out, you have to pay not only ordinary income tax, but also a 10% penalty withdrawal because you weren't able to use it. Okay. Okay. And so some of the other choices that we have, you've got your, your Roth IRA, which is a really great savings because what it does is it gives you the ability to put money away, let it grow tax deferred, and you can pull those contributions out without any penalty. You can't pull the earnings out, but you can pull those contributions out to help cover tuition costs. Okay. And now the, the cons to that are you're dipping into your, your retirement. Okay. And, and that's the delicate balance. And we'll, we'll touch on that at the end of this. Then the big thing was back in the day before 529s came out, the ESAs, were, which are educational savings accounts, they had Coverdales and UGMAs and UTMAs. Mm -hmm. And 
The problem with those is you were limited as to how much you could put in per year. But once the child becomes of age, depending on the state, it's either 18 or 21, it's their money. Yeah. They can buy that really cool sports car. If they know about it. (laughs) If they know about it, yeah. That's the key. Yeah. Right? And then, obviously, you have uh, CDs and savings bonds. Kids only know what you tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so here is the problem in paying for kids' college because it has become so expensive. As we're doing our plans for our clients and we're going through and we're trying to help people to fund college, it really, for a lot of people, it becomes a choice. If you fully fund the college tuition and you take the loans and you do everything for your kids, how is that going to impact your ability to retire? Because if you have three kids, all right, and by the time it's all said and done, it's costing $300,000 plus interest. Yeah, all right, it's- are you ever going to be able to retire? So where is that break-even point? And that's a really, really emotional touchy subject with a lot of couples, but it's a conversation that you have to have between you and your spouse and your family and saying, okay, yes, I understand this is where you want to go to school. And I understand it's very prestigious, but it's $70,000 a year. We can't afford it. You know, we can, but we're going to be living in your house. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that threat alone will just end it right there. No, no, no. Don't worry. I'll, I'll go to a community college. But those are some of the things that you're looking at because if you don't have the savings, then again, one of the reasons why you want to fill out the FAFSA is hopefully you are approved for, for student aid and, and federal loans, all right, because they're less expensive, okay, you're still paying the interest rate. Now, that interest rate is accruing the whole time while you're in school as a full-time student, but you don't have to make payments on it until so many months and so many days after you graduate. So trying to find those degrees and those options where maybe there is a loan forgiveness, right? So a lot of first responders, uh, nurses, physicians in certain areas, you know, they'll even cover the, the cost of medical school. So those are the things going forward that you really want to look at. And as an absolute last resort, and I mean it as an absolute last resort, there are private loans. Because some of them have prepayment penalties if you pay them off too early. And as you're paying them, now think about this. It's accruing prime right now. The interest rates are zero for all intents and purposes. But yet they're charging seven, eight, helping somebody out right now. And their private student loan is 9%, 8.9%. And that's accruing each and every year for four years or five years, however long it takes to get out of that. So that, that $25,000 a year or that 100000 is going to be very significant at the end of four years. How do you feel about people using their home equity line or the equity they have in their home to finance college? That is a great question, and everybody's situation is different, and that's why it's so important to work with a professional so that they can run the numbers and really say, yeah, this is going to make sense for you, or it's not, because if you do that for one year, but it's your first year, then what are you going to do for the other three, right? So how are you going to cover that cost for that four-year period, and are you going to be done in four years? Because we know personally with some friends and, and family whose kids change their major at a local major university who will remain nameless, and it added a whole year worth of tuition and expense. So when you're trying to think about how much, what's the maximum amount that I can borrow and afford to borrow so when I get out of school, I know I can make those payments, you know, a good rule of thumb is figure out what you think your net pay is going to be. So if you think you're going to net 
$36,000 a year. That's what you're going to be bringing home is $36,000 after college. Or if you think it's going to be $50,000, you're going to net $50,000 a year your first year. That's what you're going to, your paycheck, right? 10% of that per month is about the maximum that you want to be able to have to pay because you still want to be able to live. You're still going to have your car payments. You're, you're going to have to be able to eat and live and pay rent and all those other things. So if you're earning $50,000 a year take home, the most that your your loan should be, your payments should only be about $500 a month. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I do think there are a lot of options out there for people to attend seminars and classes that teach you about how to pay for college. What that basically points to is there is so much information. It's important that you find somebody that you're going to trust as the advisor for you on this because there are so many, so many different things to consider. So again, that flashes back to the retirement fitness plan and just one of those things that we focus on it is there are all kinds of things that people come to the table with they want to be able to afford their kids weddings and college is just one of those wishes wants whatever it is yeah. that that yeah. people want to pay for and i put myself in that but it is something that you need to be able to work into your plan. No, you're exactly right. And, and that's you know how we have it broken down between, you know, needs, wants and and wishes too because you know, you have to figure out what you can afford, what your kids can afford, what they want, what that degree is going to look like on the other end and um, you know, what their potential income is because that's a that's a big deal. So I'm just going to real quick recap the whole thing as far as steps for people to take. Number one, the steps are get online early when your kids are still at the early stages of deciding where they want to go to school. Number two, get hooked up with an advisor who is going to be able to give you those different areas where you can tap into finances and loans or funds or where to take that money from to pay for school. And then lastly, it is just to make sure that you have those very, very blunt conversations with your kids about what is the budget? What are we looking at? What can we afford? And that way, they're not disappointed. The process is joyful for everybody involved, that you are starting it off on the right foot. Absolutely. And you're taking it to the end, which is dropping them off on at college in September <laughs> something. <laughs> well, you, you hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> But just to reemphasize what you said earlier, start early, and you actually said in the very beginning of the podcast, do it at the beginning of the sophomore year and start working and finding those scholarships and, and doing your homework because who cares if it takes you 40 hours to apply for scholarships if those 40 hours, it's going to save you ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year, right? Now, That's all right. of a sudden, you had a school that was out of reach or unaffordable, and now it's uh, not only attainable, but achievable. That's right. So let us come back to how do we get a hold of Ed? If you have more questions or you want to dive deeper into this, you can get us at info at egsifinancial.com. Send your questions there or go to our website at www.egsifinancial.com. Or give us a call at the office at 614-526-4118. Thank you, Ed, very much. Thanks, Leanne. Hey, what 
was the last time you tested your fitness level? Not your workout routine. I'm talking about your financial endurance. Because if saving to a 401k is the extent of your effort, it is time for you to start shaping up. And Ed Sedell is here to help you do that with the Retirement Trainer. It's his podcast to help you examine your financial stamina and learn the questions you should be asking and areas to focus on to help you get to that place you've been working so hard for. A happy, comfortable retirement. And it's not as hard as some might have made you believe. Ed's broken it down into five simple steps. It's the retirement fitness plan, which he personally created to help clarify key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan at egsifinancial.com. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to the retirement trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Investment advisory services offered through EGSI Investment Management, DBA EGSI Financial Group, a registered investment advisor. Insurance and annuities offered through EGSI Financial Services, Inc., Ohio license number 1020619. Thank you.